0: But uh, tonight, uh, we are starting the book of Romans, uh, one of my favorite books, a book I've wanted to be wanted to teach out of for a long time, but just haven't, uh, and so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans, we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 1. Uh, we're titling our series through the book of Romans, uh, we're titling the series Justified, uh, we're going to have slides every week so you can be taking notes and all that good stuff, uh, so you can remember things that we talked about, so you can uh, recall those things, and um, And we're going to be doing it a little bit differently uh, than we have been doing, well, differently than we've done any sermon series before, and then differently than the last few sermon series we've been doing. I'll explain both the differences. Uh, The last few sermon series we've been doing have been topical and verse by verse. Uh, Right now, as we're jumping into Justified through the Book of Romans, uh, we're actually going to just really count it out chapter by chapter, um, and it's going to be a more exhaustive uh, Bible study. Um, but hopefully, a lot of life application that we can pull in this sermon series. The other difference is you normally listen to me teach every single week. Uh, and I don't know if that gets boring, but I know uh, a nice change up here and there would be, uh, would be good, right? Yeah. Hey, come on. That's not fair, Dan. So, uh, Dan says, yeah, nice and loud because he's one of the guys who's going to be uh, teaching, uh, and Josh is going to be teaching with me also. We're going to be doing a, a, a team teaching, a rotation. Uh, so some nights you're going to hear from me, some nights you're going to hear from Dan, other nights you're going to hear from Josh. Uh, sprinkled throughout that, you're going to hear from guys like Pastor Dave, uh, Jamie DeWeese, who's one of our local missionaries, you're going to hear from him. Uh, you're going to be hearing from a few other people as well. So uh, this is going to be a really exciting series to the Book of Romans. Uh, tentatively, it's going to be 25 weeks long. Uh, but there's a good chance it's going to go longer because if I know anything about Josh and Dan, they like to talk forever, Uh, and so they're going to be talking. uh, Oh, man, that is so far from the truth. Uh, I like to talk forever. Um, So we're going to be going through the book of Romans. Uh, Romans is one of the letters that Paul wrote. We're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, as the night continues. The title of the sermon series is Justified. And if you're taking notes, which I highly recommend you do, and maybe you don't take notes on Tuesday night or you haven't taken t- note, notes on Tuesday night in the past, I encourage you to start it. But maybe you just want to like listen and soak it all in uh, on Tuesday nights. We're recording it. They're going to be posted on the website within two or three days of Tuesday night. You can listen to it again. Take notes. Uh, share notes one with another. Pass notes uh, down with someone. Say, hey, uh, you smell funny. No, don't pass those kind of notes. But uh, but be taking notes, uh, not because I think I have anything good to say, but because I think God's Word uh, has a lot of really good things to say, things that are applicable uh, and they transcend all culture, all time, uh, and that God's word is always relevant. And so I want us to uh, approach it in such a way. The title of tonight's message uh, is "Sign Sealed Delivered." Uh, it's a, it's a song uh, title. I stole it. I didn't come up with it. Though, and it sounds really nice. I wish it was mine. If it was, I probably would have made a lot of money um, <coughs> writing that song. Uh, but we're going to be reading through Romans, chapter one verses 1 through 17. So if you're there in your Bibles or in your smartphones, read along with me uh, as we read through this then we're going to dive in. this is what it says Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. By the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience and faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Picking up in verse 8, it says this First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by some means now at last I find my way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraging together with you the mutual faith both of you and of me now i do not want you to be unaware brethren that i often have planned to come to you but was hindered until now that i might have some fruit among you just as among the other gentiles i am a debtor both to the greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and the unwise so as much as in me i am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in rome for i am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also to the Greeks. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith to faith, as it is written the just shall live by faith. Let's pray one more time. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, we pray that tonight as we spend these next few moments looking at your perfect word, uh, God, I pray that each and every single one of us um, God, we would be built up in our faith, that we would be challenged by what your word has to say, that we would be inspired by what your word has to say, that we would be encouraged in the way that we live our lives. God, I pray that tonight, uh, God, that you would speak through me, anything that would be of me. Uh, God, may it not come out, but God, may your perfect word, uh, your liberty, your truth come through. And God, uh, we, just, we just invite your Holy Spirit uh, to speak to us through the word. Uh, which he inspired Paul all those years ago and God. So we just thank you and we praise you. And then we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, as I said earlier, we're going to be doing kind of a um, team teach. We're, it, it, it's really going to be almost every other week. Uh, I'm going to teach, then Dan's going to teach, then I'm going to teach, then Josh is going to teach, and I'm going to teach. But the book of Romans is one of those books that is so meaty. There's a lot of history behind it. If you guys know me, I love history a lot. And so I told the boys, I said, hey, we're, we're going to get into this rotation, but you have to give me the first two weeks. Um, and, and that was because I knew the first week, as good Bible students, as as, as young people, as we're approaching God's Word, uh, we want to know what it has to say. And we want to know why it says what it's saying and because we want to apply it to our lives. And I think one of the most important ways we can understand God's Word, because how many of you guys have ever approach God's Word, read God's Word, and be like, "I have no clue what this is talking about." <laughs> yeah, almost every hand goes up. Uh, if you're going through the 90-day challenge with us at Hillside, uh, we're in the Book of Leviticus right now, chapter four, five, and six. <laughs> Ever want to get confused? Uh, just Go throw the Bible down and, and jump into <laughs> Leviticus. It's it, it's great stuff. Don't get me wrong, uh, but it can be confusing at first glance. And so, what we want to do there's a study in Bible school uh, called hermeneutics. Uh, literally it just means uh understanding why something was written who it was written to Uh, and like i said earlier the bible transcends time it transcends culture Uh, the book of romans was not written last year to us here in the united states Uh, the book of romans was written almost 2,000 years ago about 1950 years ago give or take a few years Um, and it was written to a church in rome now that being said it is still very applicable to us today because the same Holy Spirit that inspired Paul as he was writing this letter to the Romans then inspired him to write these so that it would be written down so that it would benefit us today. Now, I think we have up here on the slide, I think we have a map. Uh, <coughs> yeah, here we go. This is cool. Okay. It has a one and it has a two. These are two cities uh, that are really important. Uh, how many of you guys have read the book of First Corinthians and Second Corinthians before? Awesome. Did you guys know those were letters written by Paul? You guys are are already way ahead of the game. This is good. So these were two letters that were written by Paul. Paul established the church in Corinth, and he had written these letters uh, to to the church in Corinth for different reasons. Now, he stayed in Corinth for a few years, and while he was staying in Corinth in the year 58 AD, he wrote a letter to the church that was in Rome. Here we see Corinth. It's down here on the Peloponnese in Greece. Everyone say Peloponnese. That's not going to affect you theologically at all. That's just geography. Uh, I like it. Uh, The Peloponnese here and Corinth behind this is Athens. So Corinth is right here, Athens is right here, and then over here across the Adriatic Sea is the nice little boot of Italy, and Rome is just right up there. And so, Rome is the capital of the Roman Empire, which is the governing body at the time Paul is writing here in the first century, and their capital was Rome. There's a church that was established in Rome. Now, we don't know who established the church in Rome. It is said in Acts chapter 2 that there were Jews from Rome, there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the church there that was meeting up in the upper room and then Peter went outside and preached the word of God with boldness and 3,000 were converted. Of those 3,000 some were Romans that were visiting Jerusalem at the time and they go back to Rome and it could only be assumed that they brought the gospel back with them and there was a community of Jews in Rome and we don't have time tonight to talk about how there was a community of Jews in Rome and they got converted and the church of Christ began to Flourish in the city of Rome. Now, Paul, being the great missionary that he was, he wanted desperately to go to Rome. The center of the world, all roads lead to Rome. Anyone ever heard that phrase before? All roads lead to Rome? That's not just a colloquialism. Uh, Did I say it wrong? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, All roads lead to Rome. Uh, And it's not just like some colloquialism or euphemism that that, that we say today. Uh, It is actually a literal fact. In the day of the Roman Empire, there were roads all throughout uh, the Middle East, all throughout Northern Africa, all throughout uh, Europe. These were all made by the Romans, and every single road led to Rome, so that every outlying city could be touched by Roman soldiers, could be touched by Roman uh, officials, everything connected to Rome. And so if you wanted to be something, or wanted to be the name among names, you went to Rome so that from Rome, everyone would know (coughs) who you are. Now, Paul wanted to go to Rome. How do I know that? Well, this is what he says in verse 11 of chapter 1. He says, For I long to see you. He goes on to say uh, other places uh, in these first few verses that he had longed to go to Rome, but until this point had been hindered. We're not going to cover really any of that tonight because there's some points I want to get to in just a second. But it should be noted that Paul writes this from Corinth to the church in Rome. He'd never been to Rome before, Uh, and he didn't know those who were uh, in the congregation of Rome. He may have known a few of the Roman church leaders, but he had never been specifically to Rome, and he had not been correspondence uh, with people from the church in Rome. And that's going to be really important for us as we look at the broad uh, context of this book. Uh, What is the book all about? It's about justification, it's about faith, it's about salvation, and we're going to talk about that over the next 25 weeks or so. Um, This is a testimony of the church in Rome, Uh, Written about 50 years or so after uh, Paul wrote his letter to the church in Rome. This is a a guy by the name of Ignatius. He was a disciple of John. Uh, You've heard me talk about him in the past. Uh, And this is what he says. He wrote seven letters to seven different churches that were in the first century and the second century, uh, the first few years of the second century. And he wrote a letter to Rome as he was in a cage on the back of a cart being transported from Antioch to Rome to be murdered. And as he was going through, he'd write a letter to every one of the churches of the cities that he stopped in along the way, and then as he was getting close to Rome, he writes a letter to the church in Rome to tell them, hey, I know you're a big church, I know you're pretty awesome, and I know you're going to try and set me free and sneak me out and do the whole like Ocean's Eleven thing with me, save me, and it's going to be good. But don't. I'm willing to die for the Lord, and it's going to be a great testimony. That's the later part of the letter he writes to Rome. This is how he opens it. And I want you to listen to some of the things that describe the church in Rome because these are the people that Paul is writing to. This is the church and the soil that Paul, uh, it, that Paul is planting these seeds into. This is what he says. Uh, Ignatius, who is also theophorus, that doesn't matter to you guys, unto her, being the church in Rome, that have found mercy in the bountifulness of the Father Most High and of Jesus Christ, His only Son, to the church that is beloved and enlightened through the will of Him who willed all things that are by faith and love towards Jesus Christ, our God, even unto her... "...that hath presided in the regions of the Romans, being worthy of God, worthy of honor, worthy of fidelity, worthy of praise, worthy of success, worthy of purity, having the preeminence of love, walking in Christ through the law, bearing the Father's name, which the church also I salute in the name of Jesus Christ and the Son of the Father." Unto them that in the flesh and in the spirit are united unto his every commandment, being filled with grace of God without wavering, without filtering, clear through every foreign stain, abundant greetings in Christ Jesus our Lord in the blamelessness that you have. Pretty nice church. Church that was worthy of honor, worthy of purity, worthy of all these different things. Uh, this is the church that Paul is writing to. Now, I had said just a few moments ago that Paul had never been there. Uh, Paul didn't know the people there. This is very unique for a Pauline letter. Paul wrote 13 of the books in the New Testament, and they were all letters. Uh, of those letters, uh, nine of them were to churches, and four of them were to people. Now, the thing that separates Romans from all these others Romans is the only letter he's writing to a church that he didn't either go to or establish. Philippians, Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, those are all letters to the church of Galatia, of Philippi, of Ephesus, and of Colossae, all churches that Paul either had a hand in starting or was foundational in in, in their beginning years. He had been there, he'd known the people, he knew the problems that were going on in the region, Uh, First and 2 Corinthians, the church in Corinth. Paul is here in Corinth as he's writing this letter. Thessalonica, as a church there in Thessalonica. Paul established it after only being there three weeks. But he's writing to the Romans, a church he'd never been to. This affords Paul a very unique opportunity. A unique opportunity Paul has by not knowing this church is that he doesn't know their beef, he doesn't know their junk, he doesn't know their garbage, he doesn't know how the people act. He doesn't know the heresies or the false teachings that may be arising. These are all things he knows about all the other churches and that's why we see Paul writing against the heresies, against uh, the, 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 the bad actions that some people in the church are having. But what he has here with the letter to Romans, he has an opportunity to paint for us the clearest picture of theology that we have in all of Scripture. It is a pure, unadulterated treaty on theology, what we believe as Christians, and why we believe it. Paul systematically is going to break down for these people he doesn't know. These, They could have junk, they could have false teaching, he doesn't know, he doesn't care. He's going to say, I want to see you so I can preach this gospel unashamedly, but since I can't get there yet, I'm going to write a letter and just tell you what Christianity is to make sure you're doing it right. And so that's what he does, and, and, and as we're going to see over the next 25 to 30 weeks, Uh, As we look at this, uh, we're going to see the Christian faith summarized. If we were to take the title of justification for this entire sermon uh, series, we were to change it up a little bit, Dan had the idea we changed the sermon series title to Top Roman, uh, like Top Ramen. Yeah, it's really good. It's good. Uh, Josh had the idea of Romans, Romans, Romans on the river. Uh, but uh, Those will probably be sermon titles down the road. But if we were to change up the, 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 the series title, uh, the series title could be also uh, Romans, The Christian Faith Summarized. It literally is a book that breaks down Christianity for us. Now, Paul, missionary, big-time letter writer, Uh, He wanted to get to Rome, but he couldn't get to Rome. And rather than being frustrated about not being able to make it to Rome, what does he do? He grabs a pen and paper and he starts writing. How many of us, here's a little bonus life application. How many of us, when we want to do something in life that we can't do, we get bummed out and we pout about it? We're just like, I really wish I could go to the park with my friends. Yeah, we all do that. (laughs) But what Paul does is he sets an example for us. He got bummed out, he wanted to go. Desperately, but he couldn't go, so what did he do? He did what he could do. He did the best that he could do. Another example, David. David, he's sitting in a beautiful palace. And one day he's sitting in a beautiful palace. He's like, Man, I'm sitting in a beautiful palace, but God, all he has is a tent that gets broken down and set up every week. What's up with this? I'm gonna build God the most beautiful temple. So he calls up Prophet Nathan on the cell phone and says, Yo, Nathan, what am I talking to you on? This doesn't even exist. (laughs) And so, uh, he's like, yo, Nathan, we need to build a temple for God. And Nathan's like, that's a great idea. Let's do it. But that night, Nathan talks to God. And God says, yo, Nathan, you talk out of turn. David can't build the temple. His hands are bloody. He's a warrior. He's killed too many people to build a perfect temple for me. can't do it. And so then Nathan sulkingly... Oh, David on the phone. Hey, hey, Dave. Yeah, Nate, I'm just getting ready to build the temple. Uh, God says you can't build it. And David, it was in his heart, he wanted to build a house for God, but he was told he couldn't do it. What did he do? Did he go sit in his room and go, I don't want to build go God a house, but you like this No. He said, All right, I got some free time. I'm not at war right now. I got a little kid named Solomon. I like architecture. I'm going to draw out all the blueprints. I might not build it, but I'll draw out all the blueprints. And that's what he does. He draws out all the blueprints, and then when Solomon's ready to be king, David charges him and says, hey, you're going to be a great king. Do this, do this, this, and build this for God. Solomon does it. Well, Most beautiful he, temple. Was he uh, not able to uh, build because, uh, the way I thought, he wasn't allowed to build the uh, temple because he murdered his friend and took his wife. Yeah, he had some pretty bloody hands. It was, uh, not only was he a general of uh, a lot of armies that killed people, uh, he did murder one of his good friends, uh, sleep with his wife, and actually, Solomon is the son of that uh, relationship. But at the end of the day, David couldn't do what he wanted to, so he did what he could, and he did it unto the Lord. So, little bonus life application that has. Nothing to do with the meat of the sermon. This is just the pre-sermon sermon. Um, you're going to run into situations in life. You might run into something tomorrow where you really want to do something. And you feel like it's a great thing to do and you run into it and you're like, man, I can't do it. There's a door that's closed. Sucks. So, I really thought this would be a great thing. How many of you guys think it would be awesome to be a full-time missionary? Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. How many of you guys have ever thought about, man, I would love to be a missionary, but i got responsibilities here. How many of you have thought, man, I really want to go on a short-term missions trip. Anyone ever been there? Go spend two weeks in Africa or something. Yeah. And then you're like, man, I finance and I can't get there. Here's what you can do. You can pray for that country. You can pray for that orphanage. You can spend just a grip amount of time in prayer. Write a letter to an orphanage. Maybe, I mean, I'm not even going to spend any more time on this. You guys get the picture. You can do something. And what does the Bible say? In everything we do, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. You might not be able to do exactly what you want, but do everything you can as unto the Lord. That's what Paul did. He's like, I'm, I'm going to write this letter since I can't go. How many of you guys know Paul? Before his name was Paul, his name was Saul. He changed his name after he had this radical experience with Jesus on the side of the road. Um, and the question, and this really doesn't have a lot to do so we're going to talk about but the question is why did he change his name? Uh, he goes from Saul, which is a Jewish name to Paul, which is a Roman name. Some people say, "Well, it was because of humility. Saul meant like the exalted one, but, but, but Paul means like servant. So he was doing it out of humility." Others say, "Well, he wanted more influence. So if he was a Jew going to Rome or a Jew going to Corinth, all these things, he wouldn't get a lot of people coming, but if he was a Roman name, everyone would come." And people argue between, was it humility or was it accessibility? I think it was kind of both. Because in order to have the most accessibility, you've got to be someone who's extremely humble. And when you're extremely humble, what does the Bible say? God elevates those who are humble. And so when you're humble, God elevates you to a place where you can have accessibility to people you might not otherwise have accessibility to. Paul understood this. He was the humble of humble, and he was super accessible. He spoke before kings kings. He spoke before generals. He was able to plead his case before the emperor. I mean, Paul had an audience because of his humility. So as we approach the book of Romans, that's kind of a lot of uh, background leading into it. Uh, I said all roads lead to Rome. Uh, did you also know that all revivals, not all, that, that's a generalization, but most great revivals in the history of Christianity have had to do with the Book of Romans. So all roads to revival lead through Romans. Coin that one, it's not mine. I coined it from someone else. Um, but when we look at the history of revival, a history of people groups falling deeper in love with Jesus and doing something about it, it all has to do with the Book of Romans. guy in the, uh, in, the, in the fourth century of the church guy by the name of John Chrysostom. Chrysostom, how many of you guys would think that's a cool last name? Literally translated means golden throat. Uh, So we know it wasn't his last name, they didn't have last names back then, but he was given this add-on to his name, the Golden Throat, because he was one of the greatest speakers there ever was. It was said of him by secular historians that no one spoke like John Chrysostom since the days of Jesus. So this dude, like, he commanded an audience. Uh, So much so, that when he would get up to preach, just during his sermon, the congress of the church would, yeah, start clapping. Uh, opportunity to tell you guys when I start preaching, you guys can start yeah. dumb, just clapping. But it got so out of hand that he actually gave a sermon one time about how it is rude to clap while the pastor's preaching. What did the audience do when he said that? They clapped for him because he was that good of a word. So this guy, the reason why he had such a big crowd of people who were around him was because for 18 years leading up to the start of his ministry, 18 years leading up to the start of his ministry, he read the book of Romans, start to finish, every week, 52 weeks a year, for 18 years. He read the book of Romans every single week. And he he attributed his inspiration for the gospel from the book of Romans, and how that was what he read every single day for 18 years straight. You guys have read the book of Romans once a week. Yeah. Maybe once a year. Maybe once in 18 years. Who knows? But he did it literally once a week, every week, for 18 years. Another guy who came just a few years after John Chrysostom, Augustine. uh, Brilliant man. Anyone ever heard of Augustine before? Yeah, one of the greatest leaders uh, of of the Western Church. Uh, He didn't start out that way. He wasn't always a brilliant intellectual thinker. He actually was the son of some Gnostics. And he was a sinner, and in his own confessions, he writes about how he was the most debaucherous of young men. He spent his entire day drinking booze, and he spent his every evening with a different woman, the quickest one he could find. Pretty much a heathen of heathens. But one day, he's chilling under a tree, and he's got a stack of books next to him. And these kids are running through the field singing a song that was a popular song, I guess, at the time. Uh, and it was the title of the song. He, th- I mean, this you're going to think I'm crazy, but this is actually legit history. Uh, the title of this Roman song in Latin uh, was translated, Pick It Up and Read It. Pick It Up and Read It. Uh, and they're singing this song, and he looks down, and on the top of the scrolls he picked up from the library just happened to be the letter to the Romans. He'd never read the Bible. He was a sinner of sinners, but he just happened to pick up the book of Romans. And this song going around... Pick it up and sing. Uh, pick 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 it up and read it. Pick it up and read. It. He picks up the book of Romans. He starts reading it, and he begins to weep the entire day because he realizes how much of a sinner he is and how much he needs the Lord. The very next day, he gives his heart to Jesus, and he goes on to be one of the greatest leaders in all of uh, the Western Church uh, and in Christianity as a whole. Another guy. Anyone ever heard of Martin Luther before? Not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, who is the founder of the Lutheran. Denomination, one of the greatest reformers of the church uh, in the 15th century. Uh, well, he was a monk, and he was reading the scriptures, and he was doing everything by the books, had to follow what the Catholic law taught. He, he just did everything he could to be the most perfect Christian he could. And it was a bunch of hard work, and at the end of every day, he kept feeling like, there's more, there's more, there's more. I'm never measuring up. Until one day, he reads the book of Romans, and he realizes, wait, it's not my works that save me? It's not my life that saves me. It's actually already been done. The righteous and the just shall live by faith. As it says here in Romans chapter 1, God opens his eyes and he realizes, wow, the just will live by faith. You mean I don't have to try? I don't have to work out my religion? I don't have to do this? I just have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If I put my faith in him and I'm justified, I live by faith? And it's all taken care of because God's taken it. And he goes on to change the face of the church. For the last 600 years, the church has been changed as a result of Lutheran people like him who realized the just shall live by faith. John Wesley. This is the last example I'm going to give. John Wesley. Anyone ever heard of John Wesley before? Great 19th century revivalist, I'm missionary listening. from England, started the Wesleyan movement, which started the Methodist church, uh, our church's denomination and, and, and even what we believe is directly related to Wesleyan teaching. And Wesley's this great Anglican missionary. He comes to the United States. He's going to be the apostle to the Indians. He does. He sucks at it. <laughs> he's just really bad at it. And he gets on a ship, goes back to England, and he's sulking. He's like, I go to save the Indians. Who is going to save me? This is a missionary teaching about Jesus, washes up, fails as a missionary, going back like, I tried to save them, but who's going to save me? What does he do? Opens up to the Book of Romans. Hmm. How does he open up to the Book of Romans? Well, he gets back to England, finds a little old church where there's just barely any people in it, and the pastor isn't even given a sermon. He's just reading a commentary from the Book of Romans like this. And as he's reading it, the just shall live by faith. And it hits Wesley. I'm trying to work this out. I'm trying to save myself. But only God can save me. And once I'm saved by God, once I put my faith in Christ, the just shall live by faith. So we're going to talk about faith tonight. We're going to talk about what it means to toil in religion, spin our wheels, trying to do things religiously correct. But in all reality, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. With the one God, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we live by faith because we've been justified, here's the reality. These guys, they all understood, I don't have to read my Bible every day to be saved. I don't have to pray every day to be saved. I don't have to go to church every week to be saved. I don't have to do all of this, all these good works to be saved. They realize I'm already saved because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. He's paid it all for me, and now I can live by faith. And maybe you're like, "Wow, man! You tell us every week we should read our Bible. Like, every we should, pray. here's the reality: well, they realize that the just are live, live live by faith. They don't have to read their Bible for salvation. What do they do? They're like, how does that work? Let me read my Bible it's like because I want to love pay. what the Lord has. They say, "Wait, I don't have to pray every day. All like, right, God, talk to me about that. And they begin to talk to God." Said, I don't have to do good works to be saved. Shoot, I'm saved. That means I have more time to do good works. And it's it's from this place of faith in the justification that then all these good Christian attributes they begin to flow. It's not because they had to do those to be saved, they're already saved. And the same is true for us. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved. You don't have to do that stuff anymore. You get to do that yeah. stuff at whatever level you want. But I'm gonna tell you this from experience. The more you do it, it's kind of twofold. The more you do it, the more you're going to be blessed, but the more you do it, the more you're going to realize you need more of the Lord, and you need more of that faith, and more of that justification. But the reality is, you don't need more because you need to be saved more. Christ died once and for all. You're already saved, but you're going to realize the more you press in the Lord, you're going to find out the more you're not like God. And that's why Jesus says, Be holy, for I am holy. And we begin this process of the sanctification, which is another great Christianese word. Justification happens at salvation. Sanctification, lifelong process of becoming more and more righteous. Alright, who's ready for the sermon? That was, yeah. that was just the intro. Okay, cool. it feels good to be back uh, Given 45 minute intros and then diving into our own. i just joking. We're not going to be here that long. Um, so here we go. I have five I think our sermon slides uh, died up there. That's okay. Uh, I'll make them very explicit for you guys uh, as I get to each point. (coughs) And we're going to look at faith. Faith is the key thing tonight. Sermon title, signed, sealed, delivered. And we're going to talk about faith. And I think in these first 17 verses, there are five things that faith leads to in our life, that faith produces in our life. And we're going to touch on each and every single one of those. The first thing... That faith produces in us is faith equals salvation. Faith equals salvation. Now I'm not saying the definition of salvation is faith. Because if you look it up in the dictionary, that's not what it says. But faith leads to salvation. How do I know this? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Says this. This is Paul speaking, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Faith, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith and belief go hand in hand. Everyone believes in something. The atheist to the most pious believer, everyone believes in something. Subsequently, everyone has faith. And with faith, there's some power that comes with faith. It's what we put our faith in. Now, there's only one faith that can save. John 14:6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so putting faith in the right thing is what saves us, but this is what Paul says. Verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? Anyone know what the gospel is? That's yeah, the good news. What's the good news? Jesus saves. There is freedom from the trap of sin. And there's freedom in Christ. That is good news. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the good news. He says just a few verses earlier in verse 15, he says, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm ready. He's like, geared up. Anyone ever watch a UFC fight before? And they do their like walk on in. They got their cool, and they're dancing to their, <laughs> their, their their fight song. I I I just imagine Paul right here dancing to his fight song. He's getting in. He's, he's he's getting all the vaseline on his face. They're checking his mouth guard. Putting his arms out. Checking all right. He doesn't have brass knuckles on. Boom boom. He's ready. He's like I'm ready to preach the gospel. And the very next word verse is he's I'm not ashamed at all. I'm gonna be a fool. He says other places in, in, in his letters. He says I'm gonna be a fool for Christ. I'm going to be a fool for anything. I'm going to be a fool for Christ. I'm not ashamed. I'm willing to go be that weird guy, that weird Christian who's like, hey, hey Jesus. He's like, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and here's the reality. Here's the reality. Each and every single one of us, yeah. we should not be ashamed of the gospel either because it's yeah. the power of God unto salvation. If you put your faith in Jesus, you've been saved by that gospel. Why on earth should we be ashamed of it? It's the power of God unto salvation, literally putting your faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, in what it says and teaches that Jesus is the only way. If we put our faith in that, it is the power of God, like the God who created the universe, who created earth. Everything we see is created by God. That same power can transform us from the inside out if we put our faith in God. So faith leads to salvation. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. You can bet your bottom dollar. You can, that's an that's anti-reference. Uh, you, you can put all your money on it. that You are saved. Without a doubt, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. How do I know that? The book of Romans tells us. A few chapters later, in chapter 10, it says, For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Shall be saved. If mm-hmm. you believe in Jesus Christ, you are saved. And the just shall live by faith. That's getting down to point number four. So I'll get there in just a little bit. Faith, so the first one, faith leads to salvation. The second one is faith leads to friendship. Faith leads to friendship. How do I know this? Verse 12 says this. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith that we both have of you and of me. Here's the thing. It's so, such a bummer to get in a place where we feel like we're on an island. Anyone ever felt like they're on an island? Where they're the only one, like a frog on a leap pad out in the middle of the biggest lake, and they're all alone? Anyone ever been there before? I've been there before, and it's not fun. It's not fun, but here's the reality. Every day. (laughs) Well, okay, every day, but here's the reality. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're never alone. Not just because you have the Lord, but because now you have a mutual faith with other believers. And we are never alone because we have mutual faith. Mm -hmm. We are now, not only are we friends, Paul was writing to them as friends, but he was also writing to them as brothers and sisters. We're family. And the, and the super cool thing about this is, you, Joe Schmo Christian, can hop off a plane in Timbuktu, not know the language, not know a single person, not know the culture, but you walk into a church, you see a little cross, you walk into it, you instantly have mutual faith, camaraderie, And brothers and sisters, now you have friends. Amen. So to wherever the gospel has been spread across this world, you have family, you have friends, and you're never alone. Here's the cool thing. Maybe you go to a place where there is no other believer. Guess what? You get to start that friendship circle right there. Mm -hmm. And so here's the super cool thing. Not only does faith lead to individual salvation, Faith leads to corporate salvation as we have friendship and we build one another up. The Bible has so much to say about friends. I mean, it's like legit how much the Bible talks about friends. Brothers are born for times of adversity. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Uh, we are here for each other. Now, we have one who sticks closer than a friend, and that's Jesus. But he is the, f- the greatest of friends. Paul refers to him as the friend of sinners. So not only does faith bring us salvation, but faith brings us friends. The best of friends, Jesus, but a huge number, a incre- billions of friends. You think, you think you're pretty cool on Facebook? You look at it and you're like, i got 667 friends. I'm pretty popular. No, no, no. Check this out. If you put your faith in Jesus, you've got over a billion friends on this planet. Oh, yeah. That's pretty awesome. You are never alone. the <laughs> you yeah, you have friends that are dead. That's <laughs> we're not going to get into that. Uh, but no, here, no, no. But here's the thing: when you put your faith in Jesus, Hebrews tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. People are like, "Oh, do you believe in ghosts?" No, 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 no. But we have friends who we're going to see again in heaven. You want to know what's really cool? Paul wrote this church, this letter to the church in Rome, saying, "Hey, I can't wait to see you." I bet you Paul's up in heaven right now, saying, "Oh man, Cade, I can't wait to see Cade. He's a pretty cool guy." Yeah. You know, we have friends that we don't even know yet. In heaven, we have friends we don't even know just down the road. Faith leads to salvation. Faith leads to friendship. Here's another one for you. This is number three. Faith leads to commission. Faith leads to commission. I mean, it'd be be somewhat fun if we're like, all right, faith led to salvation and faith led to friends. I got friends. Let's just sit down and hang out. But I don't know about you. I like meeting new friends and having new friends and and growing the friend circle, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Maybe that's because I'm an extrovert. I don't know. But I'll tell you what. If I was like, oh, this is cool, I'm saved, now I just sit down, i get kind of bored. It might be because I'm a little ADD. But the reality is, <laughs> faith does not just lead to stagnant friendships. Faith does not just lead to a momentary, stationary salvation. Faith leads to commission. If you put your faith in Jesus, you signed up for a mission. How do I know this? This is what it says in verse 14. I am a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians, both the wise and the unwise. Paul says he's a debtor, which literally means he owes them something. What does he owe them? He's been saved by Jesus. He has the gospel and it's transforming. He owes it to the non-believer to bring the gospel to them. There's a group that that I'm a big fan of and I support. Uh, It's called Speed the Light. It's a good group of of, of missionaries uh, and missionary sending agencies. Uh, And they're running a campaign. They've been running it for the last five years or so, and I think it's the coolest campaign I've ever heard. Uh, It's called the Human right. Uh, And and, and what they're saying is every human on the face of the earth has the unalienable right to have the gospel presented to them. The most basic of human rights. Not even like, I'm, I'm talking more basic than the human right to breathe. We talk about Rights that we have. Oh, I have the right to bear arms. Oh, I have the right to free assembly. No, no. The greatest right that every person on the planet has is they have a right to hear the gospel at least presented once. Paul understood that. He said, I am a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians. I've been saved. Who am I to keep that bottle up inside of me? No, I am unashamed of the gospel. I owe it to the world. Yeah. You know, you owe it to your neighbor. You are a debtor to your neighbor. Did you know you, you owe it to the person who checks out your groceries at Fred Meyers? At Safeway? You drive through the Starbucks line or the Dutch Brothers line. There we go, Dutch Brothers. You go through the Dutch Brothers line. You owe it to the Dutchy to give them the gospel. And People are like, well, yeah, but people might think I'm crazy. if I'm like, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. Yeah, well, Paul said he's not ashamed. And also, I know that turns off some people, and Paul said, I become all things to all people. So Paul knew his audience. He wasn't crazy. He knew his audience. He went to the Greeks, and he didn't say, you're a bunch of heathens. He went into the, the yeah. temple, and he said, oh, that's a great God. Oh, well, who's this unknown God? Let me tell you who this unknown God is. He's Jesus. So Paul knew how to approach people. You <laughs> owe it to every person you come into contact with to give them the gospel. St. Francis of Assisi, he says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I think it's a great quote. I think that quote has become an excuse for a lot of Christians never to use words. Right. Because words are necessary. Mm-hmm. But if we use the words but don't have the actions to back it, then our words are worthless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, faith means to commission. Commission is go out and be the gospel. Pastor Dave, he said that... Uh, this morning at one of our meetings, he said, You might be the only Bible someone ever, uh, you might be the only Bible that somebody reads. How are you living your life? You might be the only Jesus someone gets to meet. Give them the true Jesus. So, commission, we owe it to the world. It is their right to know Jesus, or at least hear about Jesus. We owe it to the world. So, with the same salvation that faith brought us, with the same friendship that faith brought us, we should be like, Hey man, do you know Jesus? You don't? Awesome. It'll save your life, and it'll give you the biggest friend base you've ever dreamed of. As if that was even what's important. We're talking about eternal security here. Okay. Faith leads to salvation. Faith leads to friendship. Faith leads to commission. Here's one for you. Faith leads to faith. You're like, well, you can't define a word with a word. Well, Paul does. He says it right here. He says in verse 17, he says, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Faith produces faith. How many of you guys have ever, like, believed in something? Or, let's not say believed in it, because that would be the example of faith. Um, How many of you guys have ever wanted something? Then you got it, and then that like spurred you to want something like that even more. Like, oh man, I'm just so craving ice cream. You go to like uh, you go to like one of those Yo places and you just pull up a little sample. You're like, oh, that's really good. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much I wanted ice cream until I just got that sample. Now I'm yeah. gonna get like a 24 ounce thing of ice cream and be like John and pay $18 for ice cream. He's in the back of the fist. Yeah. No, here's the reality. That's the way it is with faith. You yeah. just, you want, some, you want some faith to be grown? You want some faith to lead the faith? Start trusting God for some little things. Because here's the cool thing with God, He never fails. You start trusting with the little things, yeah. and then you start seeing those little things, the little things you're praying for, start to be answered, you're like, huh, okay, God actually, di- whoa. whoa, okay, I want more. I want more. And it begins to produce, I mean, it happens in biology all the time, cells multiplying and all that, hey, that's the the way it is with faith. Our faith is not some single-cell organism that's just mundane and it stays the same. No, our faith leads to more faith. Here's one that people don't like to talk about, but I don't know why we don't talk about it all the time. People are like, well, I don't want to go to church because all they ever talk about is money. They want my money. Okay, no. But God says hey, test me in one thing. God gives us the opportunity because we're told, no, don't test God. No, no, no. He tells us we can test him in one thing. That's faithfulness in the tithe. God says, hey, give me the first 10%. That's all I'm asking for. And he says, you think that's going to be hard? You think you're going to lose out on a bunch of stuff? I'm not teaching prosperity. I'm not saying, hey, give God your money. He's going to give you a Lamborghini. No, that's not what I'm saying. But God says, test a minute," Because when you give 10% and you obey God, in the littlest thing like that, everyone operates and deals with money. So it, this teaches and preaches to everyone on the planet. We're faithful to God in that. He says, test me in this, that I might prove myself faithful. I can speak from personal experience on that. I was a good pastor's kid, grew up in the church, knew every sermon on tithing, knew every sermon on giving, but I didn't give. I gave every once in a while. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I feel kind of guilty, but it wasn't, okay, this, this is terrible, honest confession, you guys ready for it? Yeah, right. It wasn't until I became a staff pastor that I decided, you know what, I should probably start tithing. Yeah. Honest confession. Like? You want to know why I didn't? I was scared to death, I would never have money. <laughs> and it's not like you're rolling the dough like, oh man, i got so much money. No, no. you got 10 bucks here your God is faithful. And I decided, hey, I'm going to start tithing. And it wasn't like, hey, i got a paycheck here. Whoa, that was, that was crazy good. Oh man. No, no, no. It's like when your gas tank is empty and you literally have 27 cents in your bank account because you decided you were going to tithe. This is a personal example. And I'm on my way to a church event that's 50 plus miles away. I have 27 cents to my name. Maybe if I scratch the pennies off the floor of my car, I'm not even going to be able to buy a gallon of gas and my car is empty. Drove all the way there. Drove all the way back. Drove the next day. Literally, gas light on. I am empty drove over 300 miles on no gas. <laughs> Try and explain it. Try and explain it. Censor out. No, 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 no. I filled up the entire tank when I got money. And I filled up all 18.9 gallons that my Pathfinder took. But it wasn't God saying, hey, here's some money. God saying, hey, be faithful, trust me. It's like that song we sing, you called me out upon the waters. Well, God called me out upon the highway with no gas. Hillsong. <laughs> Hill song. Write that as a song. No, Here's the reality. God is faithful. And when we put our faith in him, our faith leads to faith. And what does that faith lead to? More faith. What does that faith lead to? Well, maybe salvation. Maybe friendship. Commission. More faith. Faith leads to faith. You want to hear the the, the fifth point, the last point? Yeah. This is a good one. This is a good one. Faith leads to life. Yeah. As if salvation wasn't life. As if friendship isn't life. As if faith... Commission, no, no. Faith leads to life. How do I know that? This is what it says. It said, The just shall live by faith. Faith produces life. You might say, Well, oh, man, I have... I was living, I was breathing, there was blood pumping through my veins. Plumping? There was blood pumping through my veins before I put my faith in Jesus. I was living, yeah, but were you really living? Because the Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our trespasses until God came and made us alive. Faith brings us life. You want to live the best life ever? Put your faith in Jesus. It's not the easiest life ever at all. Heavens no, it's not the easiest life ever, but it is the best life. I mean, it's got the best retirement plan. So if we're talking about afterlife, hello, it's got the best. But, even if it wasn't just about heaven, and it's not just about heaven, it is just about heaven, but it's not just about heaven. Faith secures us eternal life. So yes, faith leads to life. But, faith brings us life and life to the fullest, life to be abundant, here and now. A life that is fully surrendered to Jesus, a life that has said, you know what, I'm putting my faith 100%, I'm putting all my chips on Jesus. Spin the wheel. You're going to win every single time. Because the bank that you deposit into when you put your faith in Jesus, pull the slot. I mean, we're talking God never fails. And that faith that led to salvation, the power of God under salvation, that faith that leads to a mutual faith with brothers and sisters, that faith that leads us to go and share that faith with people who do not have faith, that faith that leads to faith, that faith leads to the most ridiculously amazing life there is. How many of you guys watch YouTube? Segue, right? okay. Uh, I I follow some really awesome YouTube channels. Uh, one YouTube channel I follow, this dude, he's, he's awesome, he films, anyone ever follow Devin Supertramp on YouTube? Name drop Devin Supertramp, yeah. Uh, he he films the coolest things ever. It's like this group of like 25 people and all they do is they just have fun. They're adrenaline junkies. And, and, and they just posted a video, yeah, parkour, they just posted a video this week. Of them pole vaulting off this cliff into Lake Mead in uh, like 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 Tahoe. Like it's the coolest thing ever. All they do is there's adrenaline junkies and they're all oh, they're sponsored by Mountain Dew. It's just they're having fun all the time. Adrenaline junkie left and right. Go watch some of this stuff. They literally get one of those like big tractors with the claw thing back up. Mm-hmm. They pull it like a big one, put it out in the middle of a lake that's not very deep, and they attach a wakeboarding rope to it. And then they put a the dude there, and they tie the steering wheel so it just spins, and they wakeboard an inner tube from this thing, and this oh, it's the oh, it's so much fun. I've never done it, but it looks epic. Um, that sounds like a fun life. Yeah. But without Jesus, as fun as that is, at the end of the day, it's death. Well, yeah. Everything this world promises us—the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It doesn't last. The Bible tells us it doesn't last. It is fading away, and it's fading quick. Money. At the end of the day, you can have... I, I had a conversation with a guy not that long ago. He said, I had all the money in the world. Running the streets of L.A., driving a Lamborghini. I could blow as much money as I want. But at the end of the day, it was the worst thing ever. Because it was empty. Money, it's empty. Cars, it's empty. Person of the opposite sex, it's empty. Everything is empty without Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that fulfills. And Jesus makes everything that much more epic. Intertubing from the back of a tractor for Jesus. Awesome. No, no, no that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Jesus takes our mundane life and he puts real life into it and mm-hmm. yeah we might still do fun things. is it a bad thing to be a Christian and have money no honor the Lord with it. Is it a bad thing to be a Christian and have a good car? no make sure you put gas in it so you don't have to test God for 300 miles uh, you. <laughs> even, yeah. Just don't feel like Mike Murdoch <laughs> when you put your faith in Jesus and let him transform your life, You will live the best life ever. You don't need some self-help book. You don't need some get-rich-quick book. You don't need any of those things. What you need is Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus, the just shall live by faith. Faith leads to life. Faith leads to faith. Faith leads to commission. Faith leads to friendship. Faith leads to salvation. It's all about faith. And What are we putting our faith in? Putting our faith in Jesus, or we're putting our faith in the world? Because one of those saves, the rest of it destroys. So Paul, writing to the church in Rome, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father Jesus Christ. First, I thank God, through Jesus Christ, for all of you, that your faith is spoken about throughout the world. Paul were to write to us today. He were to say, to all who are in 15815 Southeast 135th, on Tuesday night at 8:30 p.m. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all you that your faith is spoken about throughout the world. I want to be a person whose faith is spoken about, not because I want to be cool. No, no, no. Humility leads to accessibility. I want to be able to bring the gospel to the most people, so all my faith to be talked about. Then I want your faith to be talked about, Alex, your faith, Jericho, your faith. Kenzie, Dan, Kate, Michelle, Levi, Taylor, Dan, Josh, Wesley, Mariah, John, and all those who couldn't be here tonight. I want our faith to be talked about. I want it to be trending on Twitter (laughs) or in the suggestions on Instagram. I want that to be our faith. I want that to be our faith, you know? So the world may know. The world may know the saving power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done. God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die a substitutionary death, a death that we deserve. So that in putting faith in your son, we could have eternal life, that we could have here and now life, that we could have faith, that we have salvation, that we can have friendship. God, we thank you that you've commissioned us to spread the faith around the world. God, I pray for each and every single one of us that we would be people whose faith is spoken about in our community, that our faith would be spoken about throughout our state. God, if it be your will that our faith be spoken about throughout the entire world because faith leads to faith and faith leads to salvation. That the world may know that Jesus Christ saves. God, we understand that we live in a world where everyone believes in something, that everyone has put their faith in something. God, help us be people who owe it to the world, who are debtors to the sinnerest of sinner. We would owe it to them to bring the gospel, the saving power of Jesus Christ, the saving power, the faith, the gospel that we are unashamed of, that we would see it lead to salvation. Eternal destinies being changed. So, God, we thank you and we praise you. Go with us. We go from this place. And in all things, that your name be made famous. God, we thank you and we praise you. In the name we pray. Amen. amen.